Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. I left off going from the gospel walking for us into the gospel walking through us. What we're saved into is active, guys. I have no tolerance and very little regard, even if I have much love, for anybody who is in the gospel and is not practicing it. Right now, that's nonsense. You're the problem. Because how can we be light and salt in the earth? We're not light of the church. The church, the church, is the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And Jesus says in, in that scripture in Matthew, if, it's, if, it's, if salt loses its seasoning, then what, what use is it? The only reason you put salt, if you still cook with salt, into your food is that it will give taste to the food. If it doesn't give taste anymore to the food, why are you using it? Of what use is anything that does not do what you expect it to do? And so ultimately, as much as we are sat and listening to the gospel, it should show in your life, your attitude. Because that's when it goes from God working through you to God working in you. Now the dangerous thing about the gospel is this, and listen to me very carefully. The dangerous thing about the gospel is because of God's unconditional life that he has given you. Because of God's unconditional love that he's given you, He can walk through you and you don't let him walk in you. Let me rephrase. God's working through you is not a reflection of his working in you. God doesn't need your behavior to use you. And that's why a lot of people confuse charisma for character. There's a difference between charisma and character. And they're both Greek words, interestingly. They're both Greek words that start with a K. Charisma, character, charisma comes from charis, which comes from gifts, grace gifts. Does that make sense? Which also gives birth to the word charismatic. So this guy is very charismatic. He's very expressive. He's very gifted. He's very talented. Do you, you know what I mean? He's, he's very endowed. He's multi-gifted. That's charisma. Charisma doesn't necessarily equate character. And it's easy to walk in charisma as long as you are saved. Because charisma comes by the spirit of grace. Does that make sense? Who is the spirit of truth? Who is the spirit of the son? Who is the spirit of God? Who is the spirit of wisdom? Who is the spirit of the same spirit? The Holy Spirit. So somebody receives the life of Christ. Receives the Holy Spirit. And then walks into or begins to unleash different expressions of charisma. And you can do that operating in the gift of the spirit. And totally ignore the fruit of the spirit. So think of gift of the spirit as charisma. 
Hence, some of them are called charismatic gifts in systematic theology. Think of fruit of the Spirit as character. Are you here now? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The nine expressions of the fruit of the Spirit. Does that make sense? Galatians 5.22 The fruit of the Spirit is or the evidence of the Spirit in you is. Does that make sense? The production of the Spirit of God in you is. I, I, I wonder how those other translations put it. Message, TPT. But what happens when we leave God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, that's what they call love. Joy, exuberance, peace. Can you see that? TPT. 22. Next, next slide. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you. Can you see that? So when you think of fruit, don't think of, you know, and I'm sure some of you have seen that already. So, I mean, I, I, I can't say don't think of. I, I have to say stop thinking of. Because I'm very sure that if not most of you, at one point in, in children's church or Sunday school, saw a tree with round things. One was written love. Another was written joy. As though you could pluck love and ignore joy and not have patience. Depending on which one you pluck from the tree, which one is closest to you, depending on your height. So you have this, this picture painted that there's a fruit called love and a fruit called joy. But it's the fruit of the Spirit or the production of the Spirit or the generation of the Spirit. The Spirit of God in you generates love, joy, peace, patience. Does that make sense? Another way to put it is, this is how we know the Spirit in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And these things form the character of the believer. God's using you, God's working through you, is not a sign of his approval of you. Ministry says. In the context of ministry. In other words, God is not using you because everything about you is fine. Because see, the truth of the matter is you must understand as a New Testament believer that God is not just going to sit down there and be looking at you and be smiling when you're hurting your brother. Because that brother you're hurting is his son. As a New Testament believer, you must understand that you grieve your father's heart. Oh yes. You grieve your father's heart. That's why he comes out sometimes and chastises you. In the New Testament. In Hebrews. Because he loves you. He doesn't chastise you because he's happy with you. Because he's grieved. He expects more of you. Your son. This is where stuff gets real. The gospel is not for babies. Why would Paul say stuff like, you know, honor those, Hebrews 13, that have rule over you as those that will give account to you that they, that they do so with joy and not with grief? Why will Paul say, I say this to your shame? Why will Paul say this is pleasing in the sight of the Father? So there are things that are pleasing in his sight as a father. Not as, I'm not talking as God. As father. His heart is grieved. So Ephesians, Paul will say in Ephesians, grieve not the Holy Spirit. 
He will say it again in 1 Thessalonians 5. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. What does that suggest to you? He can be grieved. What grieves him? When you take him to places he doesn't want to go. But he goes because you took him there. He's not leaving you. But he's not in there smiling either. When you take the body that contains the Holy Spirit and make him one with a prostitute, he's not going to jump out of you because you're with a prostitute, a harlot, according to 1 Corinthians. But he's grieved that you do that to him in you. He won't punish you because you're not being, your sin is taken away. But he's grieved. He hurts. So you have a responsibility to protect the expression of the Spirit of God in you. <laughs> Did you hear me? If the Holy Spirit in you is pleased, you have that responsibility. If the Holy Spirit in you is grieved, it's your responsibility. He's not leaving. Such a patient spirit. But he can be grieved. Because ultimately he is the feeling of God. So how I live in this life which I live in the flesh by the faith of the Son of God determines the expression of the Spirit on my inside. It does. Him not living is one thing. Your, your eternal security is guaranteed. It's not, that's, not, that's not in dispute. But how he feels on your inside matters. Matters. Because you're doing stuff and he's on your inside and he knows that this is not from me. This is not my fruit. Come on, come on. Come on, child. This is not my fruit. What you're doing now is it's not coming from me. He's in you. Convicting you. Why? Because at the point you're doing something silly, you are misrepresenting him. And he's in you. And so he will grieve. And straighten you out in his love. Because you're not passing the right impression of him. But you know, because he's there and he doesn't repent of being in you. As religion puts it. You know, religion paints it that once Holy Spirit vexed. Has left you. If he has left you, he's never coming back. You're lost forever. Father, restore your Holy Spirit. He's not, he doesn't give the Holy Spirit twice. He doesn't give the Holy Spirit twice. If the guy successfully leaves, he ain't coming back. And that's why we struggle with tokens. That's why we struggle with symbols in today's Christianity. Because we're still seeing the, the God of all flesh. We're still seeing the Most High and the Holy Spirit as substance. That can be poured out. And now there's less of the spirit. So now because there's less of the spirit. There's room to add more spirit. So we look at him as substance. So now we need a revival. Because we've lost some spirit. We need to top up and add more. But he's absolute. He either is there or he ain't. That's why this was only a shadow. One, to show them their depravity. To show them that what you are expecting hasn't come. So all of this, 
you will keep feeling and topping and feeling because it is not what you're expecting. That's the whole idea of types and shadows. Types and shadows were not designed to satisfy. That's why Hebrews would say, if the blood, I think it's 10 and 1. If the blood of bulls and, it's 10 and 1, I think. If the blood of bulls and goats, you know, could not purify for the flesh. Such that they had to be offered yearly. How much more? Because don't forget, and I've said this in the previous, in this series or the previous series, don't forget that the God that instituted sacrifices, burnt offering, uh, mercy offering, sin offering, atonement offering, the same God says, I hate sacrifices. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> the same God who said, do these sacrifices, says, I hate them. I don't want them. Why did he institute them? He's never been interested in sacrifices. Even in the Old Testament. He told them obedience is better than sacrifice. Samuel told Saul. David comes and also quotes it again. All along referring to who? Jesus, who is the obedience of God. Who is better One man's obedience is better. So David comes and says, Thou hast not desired sacrifice. So he's telling you to do this sacrifice, but he's not interested in it. You don't come and camp in a thing that God hated from the day he instituted it. What he has never liked from the first day he introduced it. <laughs> He didn't introduce it because he liked it. He didn't introduce it because he wanted it. He introduced it because your human, annoying, angry, nonsense head cannot process the intangible until we give you something tangible. You will not understand Jesus dying once to take away your sin until you struggle for years or turning for your sin every year and next year the sin you atoned for last year is still there. When we say Jesus comes and takes away your sin once and for all, you will not understand. But by the time the law has kept you in shackles, according to Galatians 4, for a long time in his, as his tutor, schoolmaster, by the time you are jailbroken, you will respect and appreciate grace. So in God's providence, he will always send things ahead to show you. So none of them were given to you because they could satisfy. Just like the law was not given to you because you could keep it. One and two, it wasn't given for you to keep, even if you could keep it. Three, even if you successfully kept it, you failed it. And the church now is stuck in, talk, in tokens that don't satisfy. That's why I keep having more and more. Last year's, last month's anointing oil expires by this month's anointing service. Because it's the same us that will insist bring a fresh bottle. We will insist. We just don't say bring oil. We we'll say bring fresh bottle. That means last month's bottle. It's gone with the month. It's stale. Bring fresh bottle. On your dressing table now you have 14 bottles of oil. You can't eat with anyone. And so we look at the Holy Spirit like that. As something that reduces or diminishes. But he's absolute. It's not a variable. Absolute. And because it's the absolute, he puts an end to the variables. 
because he's an absolute, he is what the what they were calling anointing oil was referring to. These oils were showing you what the anointing will do that they oils cannot do. So tokens highlighted inability. Tokens highlighted inability. They highlighted insufficiency. Hence there were types and shadows. And that's why I said to you, every type and shadow of Christ in the Old Testament was imperfect for this same purpose. Joseph was a type of Christ. If he were absolutely perfect, you would not need Christ. I will not see him when he comes. Samson was a type of Christ. But if you are absolutely perfect, then you stop at Samson. And you don't look, you continue to look for the city whose builder and founder is God. So every type and shadow was flawed. Abraham, father of faith, was a liar. Isaac, a liar. Jacob, a cheat. All types and shadows, all flawed. Rahab, a type, a prostitute. Because they're all types and shadows. None of them could be perfect. Gideon, type and shadow, flawed. Chicken. <laughs> it was a chicken. It was lily livered. It was weak. All of them. Flawed. For that same purpose. So both the animate and inanimate objects were all flawed in their presentation. So that when he, the perfect sacrifice comes, you will understand. Yes, sir. So now that he's here, the substance, we don't need types and shadows. Yes, and so the believer must understand that the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you. He's not a type and shadow. He's the real deal. And he's proof of what you will become. The Holy Spirit is in you. He's proof of what you'll become. Son of God adopted. Granted immortality. So he doesn't leave. He's in you until he delivers you to the Father. Into that day. But in you he can't be grieved. When he's misrepresented. In you he can be grieved when you take him somewhere that he shouldn't be in. Somewhere that you shouldn't be in. He ain't going to just be smiling and speaking in tongues. And that's why I said to you when we're dealing with church, the Christ conscious believer. The Christ conscious believer is, is led, subject to and, and, and led by the, uh, the Holy Spirit. I said I guess to a point where it's not the Holy Spirit leading you. It's him carrying you. And you have to give him that authority. You have to give him that, that, that right. You have to yield to him to carry you. Because at some point he's telling you don't go there. That's elementary. At some point, he will stand in the way and carry you to where he wants you to go. Ignoring where you want to go. Does that make sense? So at some point, he's telling Paul, don't go here. At some point, he forbids him. So Paul is saying, we want to enter this place that the Holy the Spirit of God forbade us. The Spirit of Christ forbid, stopped us. Stood in the way. Which stood us, the Spirit of Jesus. So at some point, he's whispering to you nice and sweet and saying, son, don't, at some point, he will carry you. Where he wants you to go. You find yourself there. You stand in the way of where you don't want to go. But he never leaves you. Ever. So you can be walking in his manifestation. And not in his representation. You can do his work. But not look like him. You can speak his words. Yet not act like him. How is it possible? Because he is in you. Never leaves. Are you following me? He's in you. So you can sing by the Spirit. 
because the spirit is in you. And yet have a nasty attitude because you don't allow him to work in you. You can teach like a professor emeritus and the gospel is gushing out of your mouth at a hundred miles an hour. And yet you cannot have a good conversation with your brother or sister without putting them down, without insulting them and sometimes you even disrespect your brother without even knowing you disrespected them. Yet you are full of the spirit perpetually. So the spirit is in you, working through you and yet not working in you. It takes a consciousness for that to happen. Does that make sense? So God worked for you without your participation for salvation. Worked for you. He did the work and gave it to you. The victory that you have, who, who, who won it? You didn't fight. He works through you in the proclamation of the gospel. And like I said last week, it's not optional. It's our ministry. Everybody must publish the gospel. If the loudest thing in your life is not the gospel, you're not a believer. You're not a believer. If the loudest thing in your life is not the gospel, you're not a believer. If what occupies your thoughts and your expressions, your words, your actions, your conversations is not the gospel, you're not a believer. Because believers are loud with what they believe. Yeah. Who's going who's gonna to speak it for you? Nobody else. There's a dimension of the gospel that no one will hear except you say. Except you say. You're the one that has what it takes. You're the one that has the jurisdiction to transmit the gospel in your particular sphere of influence. If nobody in your compound believes you're a believer, you are, you are in trouble. If no one in your workplace or in your class or on your street believes you're a believer, you're in trouble. It doesn't matter how you appear in church. So you must publish the gospel. You must be an expression of the gospel. You must be a representation of the gospel. Otherwise, you are deceiving yourself. No amount of service in church makes up for the lack of preaching the gospel to the lost. No ministry in church replaces the teaching and preaching of the gospel, especially to the lost. And as a coach, I teach you to go and do it. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. What ministry? The ministry of reconciliation. So you must preach the gospel. Tell your neighbor. Tell the other neighbor. Doesn't matter if they didn't answer you and they tried to intimidate you. Tell them all the same. That's how the gospel, that's how the, the gospel works through us. Amen? We must preach the gospel. We said on Sunday that the Christ conscious believer, reminded her, is driven by a zeal to preach. Christ conscious believer. Look at Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The effect of the gospel, the practice, that's where the work is. Paul says, 
in verse 16, 1 Corinthians 9 and 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me. If I preach not the gospel. Woe is why, O-U-A-I in the Greek. And it means, yea. You know how to say, why, yo? It's an exclamation of grief, pain, when something goes wrong. Do you understand? It's not, it's not I, I think I said it here before. It's not, it's not a curse. And you say, whoa. <laughs> you feel like it's a curse. You have been wooed. Woe is you. It actually refers to the grief that comes from failing at something. Does that make sense? You, 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 did, you did something and it went south. It didn't, it didn't work. That, that, that feeling. Is that the feeling of woe? You know, imagine going to the market like Becky B's kitchen, getting all you're getting to make that, you know, afango pepper soup and all that. And you put it, and then you sit on your chair for a couple of minutes to just rest your head. And then you wake up three hours later. And the whole house is scenting and smoking at the same time. Whoa. Do you understand it now? And now, why, is, why are you saying woe? Because, for instance, this is wisdom's order. So, woe is in the sense that, ah, I need to go to the market, I need to buy this thing again, I need to come back, I need to tackle this pot, I need to wash it, I need to, you know, because the pot alone. Tackle the pot, cut the vegetables again, parboil the meat, and do that, and I have this delivery, or let's say it's a birthday party or a wedding reception. Woe. It's you. So the war is not like you are cursed, you are going to lose your salvation. But man, the grief that comes from failing at something that you shouldn't have failed at in the first place is war. And so Paul says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. It's such a sad thing. It's such a sad thing. It's such an inconvenience to my person as son of God if I don't preach the gospel. That's why he precedes that with necessity is laid upon me. It is necessary. I cannot exist except by preaching the gospel. That's what he was saying. Necessity is laid upon me. Yeah, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. So we said in the Christ Conscious Believer that every spiritual and earthly resource that you seek, every pursuit of yours, should be geared towards spreading the gospel. Now, people don't like it when we say this, and that's why the, the, the church is as messed up as it is, and that's why the nation is as messed up as it is. The bulk of the resources you make should go towards the gospel. The reason why you want to make money and be wealthy is to sponsor the gospel. Otherwise, you have no right to point a finger at a Yahoo boy. You have no right to finger a fraudster who wants to make money by any means necessary, at the shortest time necessary, and keep all of it. You have no right. You are, no, you are worse than a Yahoo boy. God should bless you so you can keep it. You understand? God should make a way for you. God should anoint you with the power to make wealth. 
You know, W-E-L-T. We want to prosper. So no matter how much you acquire, you can only sleep in one bed at a time, in one room at a time, just in one house at a time, in one city at a time, in one nation at a time, drive one car at a time. So you know rich, rich. Your riches are not enough to change your human status. You will still be in one car. You are not so rich that you can drive two cars at the same time. Just two, two, two. You can't straddle both. You can't be in both. Can you see the vanity of it? What are you chasing? Why do you go for the next deal? Because your human mind is never satisfied. You want more and more and more because you know you didn't get this one by decent means. So you want to amass as much as you can. Looking for security that money can never give you. So if you are striving for the blessing of God upon what you do and you must be doing something to receive a multiplication. But be bright all you want. Be prospective. Dream all you want, Josephine. Dream all you want. The Lord is taking me somewhere. You are going nowhere. The only place God is taking you without your contribution is salvation. The only place you're not participating to go is immortality. Everywhere else on the earth you said God is taking you, you have to go. So really, you are the one taking God to take you. Because if he ain't going, he ain't going. You won't just sit down in your house and become a millionaire. Are you crazy? You won't just sit down and money will come to you. Strange money, strange alert. Those are Yahoo guys. Any pastor that comes and starts to say that, he's antichrist, he's not of God. Where are, you, where, where are you getting that nonsense from? And then you sit down there, strange money, miracle money enters your account. You start to spend it. So every earthly resource you are seeking, and let me add quickly, legitimately seeking. Before you say now for the gospel, you can do nonsense because the church needs money. So anyhow, anyhow. No. Because what you defraud from somebody to give to church, to God, God didn't collect it, even if the church spent it. Do you understand? Even the church spent it because we didn't know. But don't feel like because he did something, it was pleasing the sight of God. So let me, let me emphasize that. Legitimate pursuit. And there are many legitimate ways to make money. If you just not be lazy. There are legitimate ways. Some of them just start with being consistent with your turnover. Because a lot of us believers and sons of God, new creation, you don't want to hustle. You don't want to start small. You're waiting to strike it big. But if you're faithful, little, more is added. More is added. I talked about this a few weeks ago. You get something, you bought 20 perfumes. 
You finish selling 20 perfumes, we can't see the perfumes, we can't see the money. You now start hustling for money from somewhere to buy the next 20 perfumes. Sometimes you even buy 10. You will not grow in business like that. You have to be dogged. Sell your 20, put the money somewhere in an account where you can't have access to. Go to the bank, open an account that doesn't have any instrument. No checkbook, no withdrawal slip, no ATM. No internet banking. Go and put your 1,000 shower today, put it inside. The one perfume that you put it inside. Walk to the nearest POS machine, give them, transfer it to that account. Charge you 50 bucks, 100 bucks. And don't eat differently because you sold something today. You understand? You sold two perfume. You want to buy shawarma? <laughs> you mean two, two shawarma? You want to buy ice cream? Poverty will come upon you like an arm robber. Not like a thief. <laughs> you know, poverty comes away like a thief when you are sleeping. <laughs> but this one, <laughs> the poverty will come upon you with AK-47. <laughs> come upon you like an arm robber. <laughs> not, not like a thief. You will see it coming like this. Your money or your life. Take both, don't kill me. Your money or your life. So take both of them, just don't kill me. You can take my money, you can take my life, don't kill me. <laughs> you can't eat differently because you made sales today. Sometimes you eat differently. Put it away. Put it away. Recoup your capital. Recoup the profit on your capital. See the profit with your eyes, not in the toilet. See the profit. Determine what to do with the profit. And if you will grow in business, what you will do is to increase the base of your capital. You invested 20 grand, you got 30 grand. Your next investment should be 25 grand at least. That's how you know you're ready to grow in business. Because you can't buy the same 20 perfumes you bought last month. You will not grow. Does that make sense? If you spent 20 grand, you made 30, at least your next spend should be 25. Does that make sense? And then you hope to make 40. Then your next investment can be 30 grand. And, hope to, and you're growing. Progressively. Progressively. Until you get to the point where your turnover and your net profit after expenditures are comfortable enough to inform or sponsor a slight upgrade of your lifestyle. Slight. You can't upgrade your lifestyle after every, after every sale. You went to a bar or wherever you buy goods, you bought the goods, you came back, you sold all the goods, you see that, ah, your profit, your gain is 200,000, you went and bought TV. Your business will not grow. From that 200,000 gain, you must put at least another 100,000 from your profit. Into the business, increase your capital, increase the good, increase your profit margin. But a lot of us are lazy, dreaming dreams. Time is ticking. You want God to open the windows. Heaven, shower your blazings. And your hands are not doing anything steady. Anything steady, not touch and go. You try this one, one week, it didn't work, you leave it. So perfume business is not working. People are buying cars from perfume business. Oriflame is difficult. People are flying to Dubai from Oriflame. 
Mary is not working. They are going to South Africa every year for Mary Director's meeting. Long Ridge, Long Ridge. People are making money from Long Ridge. Buying cars. Ah, see, even here. So many people are doing here. Why are they opening new salons? Tell us that to a penny. People are still sewing. Because what to wear, what to eat, what to drink will never be out of business. So what are you doing on the steady? Until somebody's looking for something, they look for you. You prove your faith with little. More is added. That's legitimacy in making money. That was for free. Free master class. Something steady, 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 steady. So you get to the point where people don't have to like you to patronize you. That's where I am now. You don't have to like me. You see my keyboard on your stage. You see my gear. You will wear my headphones. You will touch my mixer. You will use it. I'm not in a popularity contest. You don't have to like me. If you're looking for what I have exclusively, you will not rest until you find me. You have to be known for something until you become indispensable in that thing. Are you listening to me? It's the same thing right now if you're talking about the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in this city. You don't have to like Pav to say Pav. But if you are asking for the voice of the gospel in this city, you can't ignore what abiding house. Why? So far our hands are steady. That's how your profiting begins to be evident to all. You keep at it. Be known for it. Cut your teeth in it. That's legitimacy. And that's why the society is so messed up. Because we want everything now. We don't want to do anything for it. Does that make sense? We don't don't want anything for it. That's why a pastor can pray for Yahoo boy. Because that's exactly how the pastor is operating. Preach one message. Have one service. Use the one service and build the house in your village. Does that make sense? Give one prophecy. Use that one prophecy and raise all the money you need to pay the bills for that month. You don't want to work. You don't want to do anything. You don't want to be led by example. What do you do when you, when you need money? You call a program. Three days. Raise money like crazy. So why will you have a problem endorsing and praying for Yahoo boy? You are in, both of you are in the same ministry. You are colleagues. But if you also believe in organic growth, you would dissuade anybody that wants to do it artificially. Does that make sense? If you believe in organic growth, you will not, you'll be afraid of overnight successes. You'll be afraid. You just walk back in. Boom. You come. Ah, the Lord has done it. What did the Lord done? How did he done it? So our Seeking for wealth must be legitimate. This generation has to get that right. Don't let anybody make you feel less of yourself because you decided to take the tough way. It is the noble way. It's the noble way. It's the honorable way. Don't Don't do shortcuts. Compromise, sleep with a guy or a lady or even guy to guy. Don't 
Don't let anybody make you feel like you don't know anything because you decided to stay on the noble path. I understand that it's an endangered species, but there's a remnant. Who am I speaking to? There is a remnant of people that will not bow to Baal for mammon. No matter how long it takes. Better is little that you earned than much that you stole. Better is little that you earned than much that you stole. Don't let anybody make you feel bad. Ah, look at this guy. Look at this girl. You don't know what's happening. I do not want to know anything except Christ and him crucified. So I repeat, it must be legitimate. It must be steady. Your, your, your effort must be steady. If you're doing beads, do it. If you're doing perfumes, do it. If you're cooking, do it. Keep at it. Steady at it. Spare parts, do it. Keep at it. Expand therein. If you find that it's not a thing, shut it down quickly. Find what is. Or maintain a groove. And do it today and stop. Do it tomorrow and stop. Are, are, you, are you doing hair? Eh, it depends on what day of the week. Are you still sewing? Ah, sometimes. You have to be known for it. To prosper in it. <laughs> you have to be known for it. To prosper in it. You have to. You have to. That's legitimacy in making wealth by the power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit. I just taught you 101. Stay at it. And again, your driving force must be to drive the gospel. If you're thinking about it for yourself, not much will come to you. If it comes to you, you'll lose it. So look around you. Because there's only so much you can eat by yourself. Only so much. That's why there's so much waste in the house of the rich. So much. Because you cook all this stuff. At the end of the day, it's, it's wasted. Even your dogs can't finish what's left. And then they are so sad, they can't even feed their house elves properly. Because of how insecure they are. You know, you're so insecure, you feel like your housemaid can't eat the chicken you ate. I know what I'm saying. That's how twisted the society is. But you're wealthy enough to cook a goat for your house help. You are. You're wealthy enough to kill a chicken every day for your house help driver and nanny to eat. Compared to what you eat. But you rather waste this thing, have your children mess with it and then trash it. And let them cook something else at what you think is their level. It's insecurity. How much can you eat? Because you see, loyalty sometimes is enforced. Loyalty. Loyalty. Loyalty is enforced by leveling the playing field. I'm teaching so many different things at the same time right now. When you treat a subordinate as an equal, there's a level of loyalty you enforce in them that you cannot enforce in them if you treat them as a servant. So some of you African men are already learning stupid things that you didn't learn from me or the gospel. You suffer. 
You will mess up your marriages. You will mess up your relationships. You will mess up your jobs and your businesses. There's much loyalty to be enforced in drawing humanity at an equal level out of somebody you know you are higher than. And they know that they would have been okay with you treating them as subservient, but then you treat them as an equal. That's the exact same thing Jesus did to us. Same thing. He draws up up to his level. Makes us sons. And he didn't think, he didn't feel threatened by making you co-heirs with him of the father. There's much loyalty to be enforced by treating a subordinate as an equal. Of course, when people want to handle it well, they crash and burn. That's their problem, not yours. But there's much loyalty to be enforced. Much loyalty. You're in the car for six hours. Your driver is driving the AC zone. The driver is going for 20 minutes to go and buy something. You sent him to buy. You tell him, don't, don't, don't own the AC. Don't own the AC. 20 minutes. 30 minutes. But you can be in that car all day. And this is on. 20 minutes. You will generate residual resentment. Residual resentment is there. It's just, it's just brooding. Just brooding. And one day the person will hear something in a supermarket. Hear a fellow driver speak. Read something on a chat on WhatsApp. That's all it takes to ignite the resentment that would have been there for years. And he realized all of a sudden that you didn't treat him as, an, as, an, as a human being. And then boom, he explodes. That's all it takes. Then it's in your face. You say, an enemy, you are your enemy, sir. Husbands do it to wives, same thing. The woman does doesn't want, something will just cut in her head. She will carry the nearest iron and hit your head. It's a built up. You see, you want to just get up and do something crazy. Just switch. And you always knew how to be soft. And every time you talk, she will cower. Read one article. She switches on you. You say, Pastor, I don't know what happened to my wife. You happened to your wife. You happened. Help! My husband has gone crazy. You happened to your husband. So Paul says, and Peter says rather, he says, treat them as though they were the weaker vessel. They didn't say, they didn't say they are weaker. Peter didn't say they are weaker. He said, treat them as though. Just so your empathy for them can be greater. So you looking after your wife can be greater. So your sense of responsibility can be heightened. Treat her as though she were weaker than you because it, it heightens your sense of responsibility. So Peter says, husbands, treat your wives as though. They were the weaker vessel. He didn't say they are the weaker vessel. Because then what it would imply is that God created one weaker than the other. It would imply that God created one and then created one deliberately weaker than the other. If that's the case, then he's also implying and therefore submitting that Christ and the church can never be equal. In which case, stop pushing us into the salvation thing because we will never be like Christ. We will always be weaker than him. We can never be as him. Because we are the weaker vessel. Christ is the stronger vessel. But Peter doesn't say that. He says, treat the wives as though they were. I think it's First Peter 3. But it says, as joint heirs of the grace of God. That's where I was going. Joint heirs. 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, referring to wives, according to knowledge, giving honor 
unto the wife as unto the wicker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life. The message. As women, they, they lack some of your advantages. Yeah. But in the new life of God's grace, you're equals. Treat your wives then as equals so your prayers don't run aground. No? So your prayers may not be hindered. Peter says. Women are that powerful. Pray all you want. When you sleep, you don't put your hand like this. <laughs> so you're praying. They're like, <laughs> you know how you're sucking the air. <laughs> like a hoover. It just says, as you pray the prayer before the smoke gets up. But says, treat them as though they were the weaker vessel, as unto. Not that they are. So, same principle applies. Does that make sense? So you can't be, you can't treat them as subsidy. You can't get the best out of somebody you bully and intimidate. You will never get the best out of somebody you bully or intimidate. Whether as a husband to wife, as a man to woman, as a boss to employee. Never. Never. Satanic to rule by fear. A boyfriend intimidates his girlfriend. Say, I love you. You know, it's because I love you that I slapped you. But fear is not a virtue in the kingdom. Perfect love casts out fear. For where fear is, there's torment. First John 4. I don't know how I got here, but it was for somebody. But we're hammering, you must be found doing something consistently. That's what the Lord blesses. That's what multiplies, and that's your... Your, your desire is that it is towards the advancement of the kingdom. The bulk of your money should be going into the gospel. Should be. If that were the case, the gospel would not even need to be shamed in some respects. But if you are committed to the kingdom, your resources follow where your commitment is. It's only, listen, it's only poor people that are afraid of empty bank balance. If you are rich in thought, if you are rich in paradigm, if you are rich in mindset, if you are rich in perspective, you are not afraid by the zero naira in your account. It's the insecurity that is fueled by poverty that makes you afraid of your bank balance. Insecurity fueled by poverty, I don't have, I will never have. This moment I have now, I can't even give it away because if I give it away, what I don't have will even reduce, I will now have less than I already don't have. Are very poor. But if you're rich, if you walk in supply, yeah. you're a conduit, you're happy to let go. What are come, what are go. What are come, what are go. What are come, what are money come, money goes. Money, money come, money goes. Shoes come, shoes go. Clothes come, clothes go. Gary comes, Gary goes. You know, phones come, phones go. You are a conduit of resources, you are rich. But if you are constantly hoarding stuff, that's why there's stuff that you are no longer your size. You, are, you don't want to give it out. You are very poor. You know already that the sheep of your, that size in your life has sailed. You will never come back to that size again. The cloth is in your box. You bring it out. Fungi and mold have started to gather on it. But because it was a by day present of three years ago, you don't want to let it go. You are very poor. You now hear the stupid questions like, do you know who gave me this thing? It's of no use to you anymore. 
The rich, the one who walks in favor and goodwill, clears out all the time. Spring cleaning. Make room. I love it. Let me see that there's 17 hangers God needs to fill. Instead of having 30 hangers carrying clothes that cannot wear, remove the ones and make space. I know that, okay, now see the hangers and the space in the wardrobe. Now you have space to supply. You have clutter all over your wardrobe. And then you're still looking for what to wear on Tuesday. Are you not daft? You're still looking for what to wear. You try to write this. Yeah. You know, you, ladies, you know what I'm talking about, right? And it's not fitting you. You try to drop it. By the time you finish dressing, it looks like you went to bend down market. You know? Around you, like, it looks like beach market. Because you have tried this one, tried that one, tried this one, tried that one. Go and buy bean bag. As it's not sizing, you put it in the bag. As it's not sizing, you put it in the bag. Go around, distribute it. Bring you to church. Iron it, spread it, arrange it. Tell your sisters and go and shop. Because you know that as you are scattering abroad, you will find. And one day, somebody who wore your shirt two or three times will come into a place where what they are spending in one day covers your entire year's bill and they will remember you. That's the currency of goodwill. You can touch your life. Be a blessing to someone. That's when you're rich. It's not in your bank balance. That thing is fecal. Figos, just figos that you have by faith. Figos you have by faith. You know I say by faith? Because that figure on your bank balance is a mirage. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This bank you trust. Yes, All it yes. takes is one tweet yes, from somewhere. Yes, Oil price from somewhere. Shares dropping from somewhere. The figures you are seeing plus the bank. Ask your parents. Who is he that trusts in the arm of flesh? So if that's all you have as security, you have all men most miserable. A text. SMS. A lot. After every phone call, we tell you how much is spent, how much is left. Who needs that nonsense? If you want to know your, ba- your airtime, you will know what digits to press. Why must we give you his- And so your blood pressure is going up every time. You are seeing your airtime dropping after every call, after every text, after every, every single transaction you get a text. And then they charge you for sending you the text. So you're constantly living your life on edge. That's poverty. That's poverty. If you like adding airtime to your phone and you have money, add airtime to your phone. Don't wait until it's down to eight naira. You are very poor. Because you don't want to add any extra airtime that you don't You will need it still. You keep looking. And then when the airtime now finishes, now there's no money to recharge. And I start feeling sad. I'm very unwise. Life is not as deep as you have made it. Especially in Nigeria. There's no way you will, this life will work for you if you live it on Nigerian terms. You have to compromise to get ahead. But you see, our citizenship is in heaven. We're not ordinary people. We're not men, men. We're not from here. So we have the power to make wealth by the spirit of God. That's the spirit of the wisdom of God. Sponsoring the gospel is enough motivation to make money. If you are driven by the gospel and you make money, and you give for the gospel, you will always have enough to live well. You will. The more ferociously you give for the gospel, 
the more what you have is sufficient for you. Make sense what I'm saying? Colossians 4.3 Meanwhile, Paul saying, praying for us also that God will open us unto us a door for the word. Right? Pray for us that God will open unto us a door for the word. Why do we need a door to open unto us? The word. Or create an opportunity for us to bring the word. Let's see it in, I don't know, TPT message 4.3. Fantastic. Pray for me that God will open a door of opportunity for us to preach the revelation of the mystery of Christ. You see that? The message. Don't forget to pray for us that God will open doors for telling the mystery of Christ. Even while I'm locked up in this jail. So even when Paul was in prison, he was looking for opportunities to preach the gospel. Say, pray, 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 pray for more opportunities. To preach this gospel for which I am locked up. I'm locked up for the gospel. I'm looking for an opportunity to preach what I'm locked up for. You know that kind of, you are being released and the jailer is like, hi, brother Paul, see you next time. (laughs) We'll be sure to have your cell ready for you. (laughs) Next time. The gospel. Ephesians 6, 19 to 20. And for me, Paul is saying to pray, same thing. That all trans may be given to me. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. 20. For which, see that again? <laughs> for which I'm an ambassador in chains. He doesn't see himself as disadvantaged. I'm an ambassador in chains. As if it's a title. That in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. In it. 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4. 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4. Opportunities for preaching the gospel. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. This is good. And acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. That's God's desire. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. So preaching the gospel, taking advantage of opportunities that you're praying to God to provide, are giving you advantages to advance God's desire. For all men to be saved. You see that? Coming to the knowledge of the truth. So if you are not spreading the gospel, the gospel is not working through you. Say that to your neighbor. If you're not spreading the gospel, the gospel is not working through you. Say to the other neighbor, if you're not spreading the gospel, the gospel is not working through you. Then put your hand on your chest and say to yourself, if you're not spreading the gospel, the gospel is not working through you. Now you say that with your own mouth and you heard it with your own ears. That's the truth. If you're not spreading the gospel, it is not working through you. It's not working through you. You spread it out there, out there, out there, in your sphere of influence. Amen? In your sphere of influence. Hallelujah. If you're not spreading the gospel, the gospel is not working through you. See, 
The gospel works in us. You remember the first one was the gospel works for us as in salvation. And then in salvation, when I looked at the three steps, if you like, or three expressions, right? Salvation from sin, the accessories package, and the final salvation. Remember that? Then we now came to the gospel working through us as in the preaching and teaching of the gospel. And along with our resources for the advancement of the gospel, right? And then now we've come to the third one, which is the gospel working in us. I take you back to how I started. Gifts, fruit, charisma, character, right? The gospel works in us by the renewing of our minds. God is interested. I mean, we dealt with this in imitate. We dealt with it in the Christ-conscious believer, right? God is interested in the state of our minds. As they always say, the mind is the battleground of life. As we have taught in this house, spiritual maturity is mind control. Remember that? The ability to master your mind. The believer does not live their life as an afterthought. Or let me put it this way. The believer is not permitted. The believer knows the believer has come into too much to live their life as an afterthought. Oh, I didn't think of it. Oh, I should have thought of that too. Ah, now looking back, I should not have spoken like that. I, 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 should, I, I, I wish I... That is a very low place for a believer to live. You know how most times when you always do something wrong and apologize and you think you're a noble person? That's how you can think you're noble to the point where you are an actual ignoramus. And I use ignoramus because the word I, don't want to, I want to use, I don't want to use it. Before you think I'm insulting you. Do you understand? Because I say I need your time, you say I insulted you, so I didn't say it. But do you understand? That's how daft somebody becomes that is always saying sorry. Meanwhile, you start to live in the zone of feeling like you are a good person because you are quick to say sorry. But at least when you show me, I apologize. Why must you always slip up? Why are you the one that's always in the position to say sorry? You not even start to vex when we don't accept the sorry. I said sorry now. But I apologize now. What again do you want from me? You are wrong. You're apologizing. You're now vexing. Because we didn't accept the translation of the apology you used. King James Version or, or TPT. Why are you always there? That's how you are always in the place that you're apologizing. It's no longer noble to be apologizing. It's foolish. Do you understand the point now? Yeah. Why are you always there? Why are you always the one pissing somebody off? Is it a gift of the Spirit? Why are you always the one annoying somebody? Why are you always the one that cannot control your mouth? I come and say, oh, my dear sister, I love you. You know, I didn't realize. No, 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 no. The son of God knows too much to live life as an afterthought. We don't live life retrogressively, retrospectively. Oh, you look back and say, oh, yeah. I, no, 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 no. That's why you have the spirit of God. To preempt your actions, preempt your speech, and preempt your actions. Preempt your thoughts, preempt your speech, preempt your actions. Preempt. The Holy Spirit goes ahead of your thoughts, goes ahead of your speech, goes ahead of your deed. Not trailing behind 
as if he's the one trying to catch up with you. Because all this, I, I, I should have, I, sh- I could have, would have, should have. That's you applying the Holy Spirit after the fact. That's like, I could have been there. I should have been there. I would have been there. That's should have, would have, could have. Sons of God don't live their lives as say, should have. No. Because that's you trying to tell the Holy Spirit, okay, I've done my own. No. Come and correct it. Does that make sense? I've set my mind. Oh, but see now, my mind has now offended somebody. Please come and correct it. So the Holy Spirit becomes your hoover to clean your mess. That's all is good for in your life. Fixing your mess. That's where you have relegated the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is good enough to convict you to say you're sorry. But he's not able enough to refrain you from offending your brother. Is he entering you what I'm saying? Because how, how come he's not powerful enough to stop you from doing what offends your brother and hurts the soma? The body. His body. How come you only apply the Holy Spirit after you have done wrong? And you expect us to congratulate you and say, wonderful, you are walking in conviction. You are walking in foolishness and immaturity. Because if he's strong enough to pull you up when you mess up, he's strong enough to inform you that no, you should not mess up. If he's strong enough to tell you, oh look, you, uh, Val, you have hurt Alfred. He's strong enough to tell you, don't hurt Alfred. And you should have heard him. That's him working in you. After having worked for you and after working or concurrently as he's working with or through you. Now he's also working in you. He's interested in you. Tell your neighbor he's interested in you. Yes, he is. He can't be interested in your body and not be interested in your mind. Can't be interested in your body and not be interested in your mind, he's interested in you. He's interested in you. Amen? Amen. So he starts to renew your mind. starts to transform your mind. 1 Timothy 4 and 15. Transforming you. We've been over the scripture a few times in the past few weeks. 1 Timothy 4 15. Meditate on these things. Paul tells Timothy, give yourself entirely to them that your progress will be evident to all. In 4.23 of Ephesians, he says, be transformed, in the, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In the spirit of your mind. Your mind's spirit should be renewed. Romans 12 says, in verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove or so that you may grasp his good, perfect, and acceptable will. That's him working in you. Because, ah, my God. You know when you, when you, when you, there's impurities in this bottle. But imagine if this was a, there was a little adulteration. In here, right? Maybe um, a little coke or something, right? And there's impurities here. As you start to pour water into this, it is cleansing the impurity and filling this up at the same time. It gets to the point where the water fills this up and yet there is a bit of impurities in it. If you continue to pour, even as it's overflowing, 
long enough, it will overflow the entire impurity. And what is left is pure water that has filled this container. That's how the Holy Spirit works in you. He's just working in you. He's working in you until the very last of the impurities finds his way out as he continues to work in you. So he's not intimidated by your impurities. He's the cure for the impurities. He just continues to work in you. Work in you. And he's purifying you. And it's not purifying you for sin. I, I wonder if I can emphasize this enough. Do you understand it? Sin is not an issue. And I said a few weeks ago, you must be careful what you're calling sin. If sin is not found in the New Testament believer anymore, Paul cannot be writing to the church about stopping malice and having sin on his mind. Sin was handed down by one man, mm-hmm. Uncle Eddie. Mm. As a nature, acts began to proceed from that nature. Jesus took away sin and he took away sins. Does that make sense? Both. He paid for the nature of sin. He paid for the acts of sins, past, present, and future. Sin, nature, sins, Mm -hmm. acts Mm -hmm. of sin that are sponsored by the nature of sin. Does that make sense? So you have neither sin nor sins. Does that make sense? Your soul now is redeemed. Waiting for the redemption of your body. I've taught this enough. Your redeemed soul is in your body, your mortal body. Mm -hmm. That hosts your dirty mind. But you're saved. Eternally, because this salvation is first of the soul. And then it will be of the body. Does that make sense? What you now do on the earth is a function of what comes out of your mind. So the salvation of your soul that you have and nothing can take away from you must be downloaded, I've taught this before, into your mind until the last of the impurities in your mind is out and your mind is as pure as it needs to be to translate the salvation that sits in your soul. Mm So when you do something, who is you? Your soul. Right? When you do something, it's your soul. What informs what you, aka your soul, does? Your thoughts. Your thoughts sat where? Or functioning where? In your mind. So you are saved in your soul. Your sin and sins are forgiven. If your mind is dirty, you will do nonsense. You and your salvation... That you have from sin. Yes? You and your salvation of your soul. You and the guarantee of the salvation of your body. You and the presence and indwelling of the Holy Spirit will still do nonsense. Until you permeate the matrix of your mind. With such purity such as your your soul has received. The purity that your soul now is must be poured into your mind until the last of the impurities in your mind is out. So what religion sees as sin is nothing more than acts that are consistent with the impurities in your mind. Does that make sense? A believer whose nature has been changed cannot sin. Because you died to sin. You didn't faint. 
It's not like you fainted and then one sin is not strong enough. When you smell it, you're like, ha, ah, mm, mm, mm. You resuscitate you. You died to sin. You died to the ability to sin. And you died to the ability of sin to be counted against you. We dealt with that just now in the power and the righteousness of the gospel. So what is the believer dealing with? Impurities. For lack of a better way to put it, mental impurities. Mind games. So the difference between one believer and another is in the proportion to which their minds are renewed. In the earth. What makes one believer more mature than the other is the level to which they have mastery of their mind. Does that make sense? Because you see, every word you are hearing is inside you. The reason why you just said yes and now to what I said is because what I said is inside you. The yes sir is your word saying amen to my word because they are both consistent with his word. Your yes, your yes sir, it is your validation or confirmation of the word that is in us both. Yes sir. What is it saying? Romans 10, I believe, quoting Deuteronomy. What is written? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. So what I am teaching you is in you. First John 2. You have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. And the anointing that is in you teaches you all things. So Pav speaking to you now is the word inside you instructing you using the faculty of my voice. Does that make sense? That is how you are able to comprehend what I'm teaching. Mm. Because what I'm teaching you now is in you. So once you hear what I'm teaching you inside you, you you affirm it. You amen it. You yes sir it. You're like, that's the affirmation. Because it is word speaking to word about the word. Even if you are hearing it for the first time. It just came out of you in my voice for the first time. Because the word is a person. And he's in you. So nothing I'm teaching you is new to you. You just did not know until you heard it. That what I'm telling you that you are hearing for the first time is in you. It is this thing that makes you go home and start listening to the recording, reading the scriptures, and it starts to blow out. It starts to blow out. You now sit down, and then you now start to connect it to scriptures I did not say when I was teaching. And that's why I also don't try to say everything to you. Sometimes I leave you. Like Romans 10, I didn't show you the verse. By the time you are studying, the word in you will come alive. Hear this one, it will link you to that one. It's been you, sir. Because it's a he. And I'm not transmitting Jesus into you now as, our, as we're teaching. We are all having a Christ experience. Experience of Christ. Where's the Christ we're having experience of? So we're just experiencing him once unto another. Therefore, every believer, every new creation has the word in the same measure. 
every believer has the word in the same measure. Because every believer has the spirit in the same measure. In the same way as one believer will cast out the devil, another one cannot, not even cannot, but does not. Because that other believer does not know the authority they have. It's the same way that one believer would teach from the word that they have because they've come into consciousness. Remember word consciousness? They've come into consciousness of of the word of God in that particular faculty. Another one hasn't stirred up the gift, as Paul tells Timothy. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, find expression in you, richly and in all wisdom. So as I speak, I'm releasing to you a dimension or a faculty of the word of God that is in you. I'm not giving you what you don't already have. I'm not that powerful. Sorry to disappoint you. By what spirit am I giving you what you don't already have? What spirit am I using to give you something that you having the Holy Spirit do not have? Come on. Because you have the Holy Spirit in full measure. I have the Holy Spirit, hopefully. But if I'm giving you what you don't already have, it means I'm operating by something outside the Holy Spirit. And if I am, then it means what I'm preaching by is also more powerful than the Holy Spirit. Because you don't know it. <laughs> you are the Holy Spirit, you don't know what I know. That means your Holy Spirit should be serving my, my own spirit. Same spirit. That means what I'm telling you, sir, is in you. So when I'm telling you, I'm not telling you to give it to you, I'm telling you to bring it out of you. <laughs> I'm telling you to bring it out of you to you. So you can now benefit by what has been brought out of you for you. I'm not transmitting to you what you don't have. Again, no man of God is that powerful. Therefore, it's not on the basis of word that we decide maturity. Just as it's not on the basis of spirit that we decide maturity. Because we all have spirit. How much of that word that we all have in equal measure you have come into consciousness of and you have pumped into your mind until every impurity is your mind is saturated by the word. That's where we measure maturity. Does that make sense? That's how we measure maturity. How much of the word from you coming into you has entered your mind and washed your mind until your mind is renewed. Because what we will see from you, hear me carefully, is not the word. Nobody does the word. What you do is your mind. So to do the word, really, is to pour the word into your mind. Every human being does their mind. That's the matrix that controls humanity. The mind. No other faculty has legal jurisdiction to run a human being. What's the engine room of the human being's actions and thoughts and and deeds? The mind. Now we struggle with this thing when we say do the word, do the word. How do I do the word? Put the word into your mind. Wash your mind until your mind has nothing else in its content but the word. 
So that when you do your mind, what are you doing? The word. There's no... You can't drink water except through a container. Something has to conduit the water to you. Does that make sense? So there's this whole abstract of how do I do the word? How do I do the word? How do I practice the word? And we are messing up not because we don't know the word, but we don't know how to apply it. What is the application of the word? Putting it in your mind. So that instead of acting as an afterthought, your mind is loaded with such word information that the moment you start to have a conversation with someone, your mind can already release the signals required. Your mind nerve endings will tell you, no, don't do that. This is about to go this way. Change this word. Don't say that. Say that. And you will not, no, no longer believe in shoulda, woulda, coulda. Because what causes shoulda, woulda, coulda? You have done something and you have finished it. When you now sit down, you now hear one preaching. That's when you now start trying to load the preaching. Like a flash drive into your mind. And then, ah, you start to say, oh no, I shouldn't have said that. I could have handled that better. You now start looking for the person to try and fix what you've done wrong. And then you get frustrated when your apology doesn't fix their pain. Because there's only so much that an apology can fix. Then you get frustrated because you've hurt somebody. You can't fix it. You apologize. Apology doesn't seem to be repairing anything. Now you too are now angry. That's you living after the fact. Trying to introduce something after the fact when it should have filled the mind with the word. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind so that each time you think, your thinking is in line with the word. Who is the spirit? Remember? Each time you are thinking is in line with the word. Each time you are speaking is in line with the word. And each time you are doing is in line with the word. That's when he's working in you. That's what now makes you begin to act like him in the earth. Now, in this your body of flesh. That's how you start to live by the faith of the son of God. Now, in this body of flesh. In this life, you start to live righteous. You are righteous. Now you start to live L-I-V-E like the righteousness you are. Does that make sense? Because you can be righteous and not live it. You can receive the grace of God and not use it. Otherwise, Paul will not say the grace of God to me was not in vain. We have not received the grace of God in vain. So it's possible. In which case, I've said over and over, you are a waste of time and space. On the earth. If you not do anything with the grace of God you have received. Then just die and go and wait for us. But if you are here. You must renew your mind by him working in you. Such that you start to L-I-V-E. What he's worked in you. That's when your faith starts to benefit me now. And strengthen the body. Edify the church. So why is Paul writing to them? He's not telling the church put away sin. Sin has been put away. Stand them, get a grip on your mind, my friend. He tells the Colossians the same thing. He tells the Ephesians the same thing. He tells the Corinthians the same things. He tells the Philippians the same thing. Galatians, Philippians 2. Let this mind, which was in Christ Jesus, verse 5, also be in you. Go back again to imitate the mind of Christ, the mind of Jesus. Let this mind be in you. You have the spirit, your soul is saved. Now, let the mind of Christ be in you. Lose your own mind. Pour his mind into yours. Mm. 
And what is his mind? Who is his mind? The spirit. First Corinthians 2. We have received the spirit of God that we, that we might know the mind of God. Does that make sense? First Corinthians 2. Let's go there. First Corinthians 2 verse, from verse 10. Follow carefully from verse 10 right through to verse 16. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. This God has revealed them to us. Our things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. Remember? God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes. The deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man? Except the spirit of the man. Please go to King James verse 11. KJV. For what man knoweth? The things of a man. Except the spirit of man. Which is in him. These are legitimate man and wife. The two have become one flesh. Hmm? The two have become one flesh. Okay, give me a second. Jane, think of a color. Don't even tell me. Tell wealth the color in her ear. Are both of you married? Yes, sir. Are you sure? Yes, sir. You're married? Yes. You're very sure? Yes, sir. James, tell me the color in Jane's heart. What's wrong with you? You are married. Two of you are one. The two of you became one flesh. Yet, here are your two hands. Here are his two hands. But both of you are married and one flesh. There's a color on her heart as the wife of James. That is now James in another body. Alas, James doesn't know it. Because no one knows the mind of James. Except the spirit of James. Not even the spirit of James. And this is why communication in relationships is very important. You can't assume that he should know. How should he know? As powerful, I'm very, very sure they love each other. You see them in the house, babe, you know, babe. They love each other. They've come a very long way together before they got married. All the long way they've come, all the hurdles they've mounted. Common color. Ooh. Oh, where are Is you? <laughs> Common color. You can't tell. Now you think of a color. You know the color? Come back. Is it the same color he told you that she told you? Can you see the problem? So now, Jane had a color. It is a color. Hobby. Don't know it. But they are the two most connected persons in the planet to each other. The way they know, you adore each other. Nobody else does. Unfortunately, because Jane's mind is still hers, only her spirit knows what is in her mind. So it, it turns out knowledge is a spirit thing. Mm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It is interpretation that is a mind thing. Again, go back to imitate. You receive knowledge and revelation into what? Into your spirit. You remember. Your spirit then downloads it to your mind for expression. That's why I said nobody does the word. You do your mind. And especially Nigerians. Ah, it's what was in my mind. What's in my mind? I go talk. I go talk. I, I did my mind. I did what was in my mind. 
It is only wrong to the degree that that your mind you are trying to do and think and say is not renewed. Yes, sir. That's the problem. Yes, sir. So your license to do your mind is to chalk your mind with the word. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When you chalk the, your mind with the word so that your mind is full of the word, then you have license to do your mind. You have license to say your mind. You have license to think your mind because then the mind of Christ is in you. And I'll explain to you how the mind of Christ is in you right now. So James has this color. He thinks about it. And his dear wife doesn't know it. Put back verse 10. 1 Corinthians 2, 10. No one. Start again from the beginning. What man knoweth the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Let me see how the TPT puts this. Or the message maybe. After all, who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for that person's spirit? Yes, sir. Spirit. Yes, sir. Spirit. 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 Knowledge is seeds. Your spirit that receives it. Yes, sir. That's why the unbeliever does not know because he doesn't have an active spirit. Yes, sir. Are you here now? Yes, sir. It is for the spirit to receive knowledge. It is for the mind to interpret it. Yes. Now, this spirit is what knows the mind. Unfortunately, James cannot. Why? James does not have Jane's spirit. James doesn't have Jane's spirit. Oh, but they are so in love. Next line. His thoughts. So it is with God. Give us Luke and James. <laughs> Walking in you. Luke and James, verse 11. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. But God is in love with us. Jane is in love with James. God is connected to us. Jane is connected to James. James will give himself for Jane. The way that Christ gave himself for us. Marriage is a type of Christ and the church. Now, Jane and James, common color. God and us was. I mean, God is in love with man. God loves man. God has saved man. God is saving man. God will save man. What only God knows is Mind because of his spirit. And man too, man saved now. Still has his own spirit mind. Ephesians 4.23, the spirit of his mind. The only difference between God and us is that in this instance, God being God and omniscient knows the mind of man. So he can ignore man's actions and be righteous to man and see man as righteous in his sight. Because he can see past man. He can see who he saved. He can see his son. Yes, yes. In spite of whatever nonsense man is doing. Yes. So God can handle man. Man cannot handle God. Because man is not omniscient. Man doesn't know God. Because man doesn't have the spirit of God. So how does God fix it? He takes his spirit and puts it inside you. And your spirit becomes his spirit. So the moment God is thinking something, you pick it. The moment God says, you complete it. Magenta, you complete it. There's the interconnection now. God no longer needs to talk from heaven and thunder to man. 
Does that make sense? Yes. This is what Hebrews implies when it says God in, very, in sundry times. In different ways. Spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But now in this last days, spoken to us through the son. How? The spirit of the son. Galatians 4, 6. That he sent into you. Crying. So now God does not need to. That's why I said to you, the word I'm telling you is in you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So now, as James is thinking, she's completing. Now, if they work on their relationship, give them five years. They'll get there. So the only way God could fix this was to carry his spirit. Because it is the spirit that knows the mind. So he doesn't give you his mind as it were. He gives you his spirit. Now that you have his spirit, what do you know? His mind. And then you start to act according to his mind. Now see verse 11. 1 Corinthians 2, 11. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Keep going. Now we have received. Not the spirit of the world. What have we received? The spirit who is from God that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So God is not telling you what he has given you. He's giving you himself so you can know what he has given you. Yes, sir. Does that make sense? Verse 13. These things we also speak, not in words of men's wisdom, which, which man's wisdom teaches, but with what the Holy Spirit teaching, teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Keep going. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God or the mind of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Keep going. See the, see the good news in the next verse. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Keep going. For who? Who has known the mind of God that he may instruct him? He quotes Isaiah there. He quotes Job there. And then he says, but we. But I thought we received the spirit. Not necessarily the mind. But the moment we receive the spirit, it's like a hard drive that you slot into your hard drive bay and you're able to process all the information that spirit generates. So instantly, by having the spirit of God, you are able to think like God and not just think like God, know what God is thinking, know how God is speaking, know what God is doing and align yourself. That's the gospel working in you. So as long as you too enjoy intercourse, enjoy eating, enjoy fellowship, enjoy sharing the same bed, making babies, if your spirit and mind are not one, you're not married. If you don't walk on this until you are one while being two, you're still cutting with certificate. Until as a son of God, you are a custodian of the mind of the father. Keep quiet. You're immature. Because sons have the spirit of their father, so they know the mind of their father. Therefore, you hardly find them acting contrary to his mind. That's maturity. Does that make sense now? That's maturity. Maturity. 
speaking anyhow, arguing, fighting, is because we have not entered maturity. We are operating from different minds, different spirits. The moment we take our time, sit down and understand mind, understand spirit, we are both listening to radio on the same station. I won't be dancing like this. And then James is going, what are we, what, what are we hearing? And that's why the church is so messed up. Because every church has their own mind, their own spirit, their own dogma. Everyone has what they think they're hearing. What's the mind of God? You ignore his mind because you ignore his spirit. If you know his spirit, your mind cannot be renewed because it's spirit that renews mind. Does that make sense? It is the spirit received that influences and renews your mind. And who is that spirit? The word logos of God. Do you get this? So that's how the gospel is working in you. Renewing us. So we must take advantage of what God has freely given us. Amen? That's when the gospel is working in us. That's when Jane is working in James. That's when James is working in Jane. I have to go now. My husband needs me. Now. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't concentrate. I, I'm sure it's, it's, I can't ignore it. It's a strong pull right now. I have to go. And then you're calling and your husband is saying, honey, I, I, I was looking for you. Like, I'm on my way to you. Don't say, any, don't say a word. I got you. I'm on my way. And vice versa. Anything short of that is a worldly marriage. That's why I keep telling you it's not for babies. I like you. I like you too. Do you know what you're entering? This is not boyfriend, girlfriend, rem. It's not. It's not what children double into. It's a lifelong commitment to becoming like your spouse. Literally. Picking how they think. Reading them. Deciphering them. Discerning them. Understanding them. Connecting with them. And you know. You know when your wife says fine, and you know that fine is, is, means that 19 things are wrong with me. And when you hug someone, you don't need to say a word. Just hold him or hold her and let her stay there. That's what we are called into as sons. That's what happens when the gospel works in you. When you carry the word and feed it to your mind. Not to your situation. Because there is no single place in the New Testament where you are told to speak the word to your situation. Again, that's religious jargon when we, we invent it. Speak the word into your situation. The only situation that needs to hear the word is your mind. Then you can use your mind and deal with every situation. Because what will process situation is your mind. That's maturity. That's why it's called spiritual maturity because it's your spirit superimposing on your mind. Mm-hmm. Not speaking the word into your situation. Into situation. Speaking the word into mm-hmm. the temptation. I will not be tempted. <laughs> Let's talk after you finish eating the temptation. <laughs> because I prophesy to you, you will be tempted. You are the one that will tempt the temptation. You are all your strength and you know, Jim Jim brother. <laughs> You have, you have finished drinking the juice. Oh, Father. You know, now it's not forgive me anymore. Now it's, oh, Father, thank you. I am the righteousness <laughs> of God in Christ Jesus. My sins are forgiven. I am not my sin. 
Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes. And that's the correct prayer to pray. It is. It is the correct prayer to pray. But the prayer will not change anything. Until you load the right information in your mind. Because the temptation is not coming from your spirit. Because your spirit is God's spirit. And if your spirit is tempting you, that means God is tempting you. And James says, God tempts no man. God doesn't tempt anyone. James makes it clear. Neither is he tempted by anyone. So a temptation cannot arise from your spirit. God does not tempt you. God will not bring a naked girl to see if you will rise or fall. He doesn't. Or naked boy. Or ganja. What does he want to achieve? To see what he gave you strong enough to keep you from falling. He's not sure. He has to test you. No. So temptations do not spring from the spirit. <laughs> because the spirit tempts no man. But each one is tempted, James says, when he pays attention to lusts. Where's the seat of lusts? And a mind that has not had the word of God poured into it enough to remove loss, remove loss, 2022, remove loss, remove loss, remove loss, two years, three months, four months, six months, remove loss until one day you look in your mind and the loss you've been struggling with for two years is no longer there. Because the word has overpowered it. So you get up to do what human beings do. What do human beings do? Their mind. And then lost that used to be in your mind all the time is no longer there. That's when sons of God start to enjoy salvation in the earth because it's practical. Start to see results of the word of God in your life. It's not for you to pick the word and open the Bible and say, Father, the Bible says I'm righteous. As I go out today, I'm righteous. You can confess all you want. You still find yourself where you find yourself. Is this helping anybody? So stop fighting over things you don't have control over. Take charge of the one you have control over, your mind. And everything about you starts to change. Because as the word is coming in, the way you talk will be different. Your empathy will be different. Your compassion will be different. Your sympathy will be different. Your honor will be different. Your selflessness and sacrifice will be different. Your giving will be different. Your praying will be different. Your character will be different. Your attitude will be different. A change starts to take place that you can't help. You can't help it. You can't help it. As you're pouring the word in, your life should show. It's not, you cannot be changing on your inside. You cannot be the only one that knows you are changing. That's you already been bewitched by witchcraft spirits. You can't be the only one that knows you are changing. It's not possible. You can't hide. You can't hide. As you're pouring in the word, it's cleaning up. It's cleaning up. It's clean. Everybody can tell. Everything about you is changing. Your dressing is that's when your dressing will change. That's when you yourself will know now, no, now, no, now, no, now, no, now, no. Don't wear this one now. It's not prayer or rules and regulations that will do it. Now it's this. That's why I keep pouring. I just keep teaching the word. I just keep teaching the word. I just keep teaching the word. You carry it from your spirit, pour it into your mind. Because there's only one thing a human being will do. Their mind. I wish the church globally 
can hear this. We must stop divorcing the, the terrestrial from the celestial. We must stop thinking of them as separate worlds. Like this world is separate and then that world is separate. And then it's like we're trying, no, 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 no. They, they coexist. If you pour the word into your mind by the spirit of God, that's how your mind will be renewed. You'll get up and watch you always, how you always swore, how you always cursed. You can't do it anymore. And it's not because you, you made a vow. <laughs> do you understand? Not because you covenanted with God. And henceforth, I will not use a swear word again. You cannot do it. You can't do it. Because it's not what you want to do that you will do. It's your mind that you will do. Who is this helping? It's your mind. Your mouth can only pretend for so long. Your mind will come out. Your desire can only act for so long. Your mind will come out. Your determination can only find expression for so long. Your mind will come out. So stop promising. Stop pledging. Stop covenanting. Stop swearing. Stop minding. That's the practice of the gospel. It works in you. He works in you. Both to will. Philippians 2.13 It is God that works in you. It is for salvation that he rested oh. For your sanctification, sir. He's working. Actively. Via the agency of the Holy Spirit. For it is God, put it off, Philippians 2.13, who what? Works in you. Both to will. In other words, to become your desire to do his will. God is not in you doing his will. He's in you becoming your desire to do his will. Both to will. So it's not, religion tells you, if you desire God, he will use you. Willingness. Ah, if that's how you'll be tenacious with wanting mm. God to use you. He will use you. It's a lie. It is God that becomes your will to be used. Because you, no matter how you will, you cannot will yourself into the will of God. Go back and listen to it. You can't will yourself into God's will. He has to generate in you the frequency of his will. Then do the action that is commensurate to his will. It's his will. Let's see how, I don't know, TPT message, Philippians 2.13. The gospel works. Someone say the gospel is working in me. <laughs> right now. To the measure that I allow the word of his grace poured into my mind to renew me and align me with his mind by his spirit. Mm -hmm. Look at this. God will continually revitalize you, implanting within you the passion to do what pleases Him. He's implanting in you His passion. You cannot, you see, that's why I said in willingness consciousness, you cannot desire to please God. Oh, Father, I want, shut up. I want to serve you. I want to, shut up. You let Him walk in you, He will load in you what He wants, and then use it how He loaded it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
He's working in you both to will and to do his pleasure. He's working in you. Say he's working in me. Say it again with conviction. He's working in me. Yeah. This is what I built. For by faith we understand, Hebrews 11, 3, that the walls were framed by the word. What builds the world? Acts 20.32 I commend you to God and the word of his grace which is able to build you up. Hebrews 13.9 is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not meat. So what that builds? The word is the ingredient for construction. And God said. Genesis 1.3 God said. And there was. Upholding all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1.4 The word is the ingredient for construction. So, take the word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What are you heaping for yourself up? Construction materials are plenty. For the building up of your mind. That's maturity. Until you get to the point you can't be tossed around by any wind of doctrine. Yes, sir. So, it's immaturity. Listen, you don't think that you are nice because you are always ending up in trouble and saying sorry. You are a problem. You are a problem. You are a problem. Always upsetting somebody. Always causing trouble. Always you have found that you have gossip first before you knew that it was gossip. Mm-hmm. Say, oh, pastor, I didn't, I didn't know that when we were talking about the person. I was, I was, I was showing care. Mm-hmm. You know, care. Mm-hmm. We're showing care. You thought you were caring. Sharing is caring. Mm-hmm. No, I thought I was just showing consign. No. Why, where was the Holy Spirit when you didn't know? Come, you didn't know if you have the spirit of God. Answer me a question now. How come you have the spirit of God and you didn't know the mind of God concerning gossip until you finish gossip? And we should clap for you because you're a new creation. Get a life. Right of Hebrews says in 61. Let us move on to maturity. Not laying again. Hebrews 6:1. So there's a place called there. That you can only get to by living here. Yes, sir. <laughs> you hear what I said? Yes, sir. There's a place called there that you can only get to by living here. It's maturity. Let's move on to maturity. Maturity is taking hold of your mind. Determine what you pour into it. Because as you pour in the word in, everything's going out. Pornography, swearing, addictions, vices. That's not what the scripture is dealing with as sin. That's the nonsense remnant of your unrenewed mind. That's why Paul will always, when Paul highlights these things to the church, he will tell them, such were you now. If you're no longer this, put it away. Why are you still doing this thing? Why? Because the residue of it is in your mind. Why is it there? Because you haven't given your mind the word. So don't, just, don't, don't, sit, don't, don't sit down and be celebrating with the gospel. Gospel is a call to responsibility. Go back to the Christ-conscious believer. Sonship is a responsibility, not just a right and privilege. It's a responsibility. It is a responsibility. I'm concerned for believers that continue to say sorry. You are in church, church of 100 people, you have heard 30. You have said something about this person. You have offended this person. You have stepped on this person's toes. You have treated this person with disrespect. You have denigrated that person. You have disrespected that person. You have said that only you. And you think it fixes everything because you say sorry. Some relationships are damaged beyond apology. It doesn't mean I hate you. It doesn't mean I hate you. I love you. 
unconditionally, yeah. but there's fellowship that we can't have anymore. Yes, because I ain't going to keep coming to you all the time. Yeah. For, go back to Romans 12. Mm. Journey through Romans 12. Yes, you can't keep all the time, all the time, and you're hurting me and taking advantage of me. I say, I love you, I love you. Dude, get small sense. Receive small sense into your life. Yeah. Apology doesn't fix everything. Mm-hmm. Sorry today, I'm sorry tomorrow, I apologize, I'm sorry. But I genuinely am sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, send, and then what? And then half of the church is messed up because of your immaturity. Don't take delight in being the one that is always in a place where you have to say sorry. Every time you are saying sorry, it means you have spoiled something. Think about what you spoiled and try stopping to spoil. Does that make sense now? And that's what happens when the gospel is working in you. It's purifying you. Something without impurities cannot corrupt. Something without impurities cannot insult. Something without impurities cannot disrespect. Yes, so every time you find yourself in a position where you are dealing with a vice, it is the Holy Spirit's way of telling you, add the word. Add the word. Bring the word to play in that faculty of your mind. Everything happening now is happening where? In your mind. Understand this and receive light and stability. Life is happening in your mind. You get this? When the gospel is working in you, Sama, in you, sanctification, your cooperation is required. This one is not dead works. This one is good works. Good works is sons of God aligning with what God is doing in them. We have handled your salvation. Hmm? exclusively an act of God without the participation of a man. That's what what God did for you while you were yet sinners. That's what he's doing with you that he's guaranteed by the influence of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Now here in this life, as the gospel is working in you, you need to cooperate. Because this mind renewal is the difference between one mature believer and another. Depending on how much they place a demand on what God is doing in them. Because if you resist the spirit, you are cheating yourself. He won't, the spirit of God won't force you to be mature. Because he will not go against your mind. You will have to let this mind let. You must let the mind. Be Ye transform. It's your prerogative. Does that make sense now? So you must, hear me carefully, I'm not stuttering. You must cooperate with God for the working of the gospel in you. So I tell you people all the time, don't get carried away by, it's all of works. There's works for us to do inside salvation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're not safe to sit down and just chill. No, sir. No, sir. That's a lie. That's another gospel. Which is not another. We are zealous for good works. Titus 2 is not 14. Titus 2, 14. Who gave himself for us 
that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. See that? And purify for himself, his own special people, zealous to do for good works. Other translations say eager to do good. Eager. So there's no doing for, there's a doing in. There's a doing in. You're not doing anything for salvation. You will never do anything for salvation. You will never do anything to earn it. And you will never do anything to lose it. You cannot do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to lose it. But it's not possible that you did nothing to earn it, but you can do something to lose it. If I can do something to lose it, you should have allowed me to invest in, get, in earning it. Come on. So we can know from the beginning that it's an equal opportunity partnership. I didn't do anything to earn it. I, ain't go, I, ain't, I can't do anything to lose it. I can't. I'm not powerful enough to lose my salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not powerful enough. I don't have the dunamine to undo what God did. Are you mad? What God did. But he did nothing can undo. Now, in salvation as a son, there are doings with your name on it. So you're not saved in docility. You're not saved in passiveness. You're not saved to just sit down and be obese waiting for adoption. You occupy. Look at 19 till he comes. He called them together and said, occupy till I come. Do business till I come. Transact till I come. Do the kingdom here until the kingdom comes. You can't live like a rebel or like a rascal because you're waiting for kingdom. If you know what you're waiting for, do it now. The reason that you have hope is that you know what you're hoping for. Why do you want to not live like a rascal if what you're hoping for is better? Start doing better now. Looking forward to a world where there will be no issues. There will be no malice. Stop malicing now! Show us a token of what is coming. Looking forward to a day when there will be no strife. You enter immortality and there will be no strife. Well, stop striving now. What makes you think you can keep striving until you get to the point where you no longer strive? That's irresponsibility. The gospel is not working in you. What I've explained to you now is the difference between somebody that lives here in the church meeting and instantly walks away forgetting what manner of man he is. And the person who takes that word instantly and pours it into their mind and guards it with all diligence. It's the difference between sons of God that will close service, sons of God will still go and do what they've always done. Because they didn't receive the word into their mind. After they nodded their head and said, yes, sir. Others know that this is life. Jesus says, the words I speak to you, they are spirit, which is to say, they are life. So somebody receives this word as life. And knows that I cannot profit without this. I will take it and turn it and use it. Somebody else will walk away. Waiting for the next opportunity. To usher, to sing, or to hold a camera. What, you know what you have done? You have numbed your maturity. You're taking painkillers for immaturity. Every time you come to camera, you come to sing soprano, lead, lead, lead song, you're taking painkillers to suppress your immaturity. You have, no, you have no excuse for not growing in maturity and you're doing ministry. Ministry will not grow you. <laughs> Ministry doesn't grow you. Ministry takes from what you have grown. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ministry doesn't add to you. Paul would have preached it. Peter would have preached it. 
James should have preached it. Mm. Jesus should have preached it. Forget religion. Religion is a bastard. Religion takes your, averts your gaze. Remember I showed you. Averts your gaze from what you should be following and occupies you with nonsense. Then it takes control over you. So you have a lot of unrealistic expectations. And so our parents are bleeding and hurting at how much religion has cheated them. Give my whole life to the church. Expecting the church or God to use something and give you back on account of what you gave to church. <laughs> Ministry doesn't add to you. Ministry doesn't grow you. So no. Ministry takes from your growth. That's why babies don't do ministry. You don't learn, ministry, you don't learn maturity by ministry. Ministry will actually add impunity to your immaturity. Does that make sense? Small authority, small power, small responsibility will magnify immaturity by multiple decibels. You start to lord over people. Talk down at people. Because now you feel you have license to. So no. Ministry will amplify immaturity. It will not lead you into maturity. Ministry draws from the maturity. That's why Paul told Timothy, these dickers must not be babes in the faith. Remember? Not babes in the faith. faith. Not novices. Some translations say not novices. Not babes. So if you're in leadership and you're acting immature, the best thing we can do for you in the love and mercy of God is to sit you down. Remove ministry. Because at that point, ministry becomes a burden that will stand in the way of your maturity. Does that make sense? You are, you are supposed to be coming into maturity, but you are grappling with the throes and the responsibility and the burden of ministry. It will not help you. So in God's love and mercy, we will remove ministry from you and allow you with maturity. Because it's, it's maturity that matters. Maturity feeds ministry. Can't be doing ministry, I don't have to talk to people. Don't know how to talk to people. You have zero people skills. What is the gospel working in you? You can't control your mouth. You can't control your anger. When you vex, leave me. I must show everything. Otherwise, I will be sick. Be sick. If I feel it, I must say it. What did you pour into it first? What did you pour into it? If you speak, will it be coming from a place of the word in your mind? Or are you one of those that retire the word until you are finished doing your own? And I come and say, Father, I want to renew my mind. You're a joker. <laughs> a joker. How do you want to renew it? Because you see, life is good enough, is beautiful enough to present to you opportunities to test your conviction. That's how life is designed. Does that make sense? Life is designed to give you multiple opportunities to test what you have put in your mind. So each time you stumble, go back and fill your mind some more. Go back and listen to a message again. And again. Until life tests you in the regard of that word and you passed. The day you passed is the day you heard the message. Not the day I preached it. The day you passed the test that comes consistent with the word, that's the day you heard the word. That's the day the word entered your mind. Yes, sir. 
The next time somebody comes up and you're having a conversation, you're about to get upset, and you remember this word. And remember the gospel is working in you. That's the day you heard this word. Not now. Not now. So some of you, unfortunately, will have to hear this word ten times before you hear it. That's why when life hits you, you fail. But the practice of the gospel is that you convert it to energy you can use. And that's the place of your mind, right? There's a transformer. Transforming spiritual energy to energy you can use. Because you can't go now into the world and use spiritual energy. That's why they do it in hiding. Because it's illegal. People that drag spiritual stuff into, ma- into natural, right. they do it in hiding. Yes, sir. It's not legal. Yes. It's not legal. Yes. What's illegal for you to do as a human being? What, pre- what controls what you do as a human being? Your mind. So pour it into your mind. It becomes energy you can use. Then you start to grow. You start to speak. Life comes from you. Maturity comes from you. Your speech is seasoned with salt. Edifying the hearers. Your life is not causing anybody to stumble. You can minister to those weak in the faith. You can edify the body of Christ. You can give. You can proclaim the gospel. You can do good works. Because the word is translating to energy that you can use. The word is working in you. Say the gospel walked through me. Because it worked for me. And to the measure that I yield. The gospel is working in me. The end result. Of the in working of the gospel. In my life. Are maturity. And transformation. You can't be the same after a while. You can't be the same. Amen? You can't, you can't be the same. You cannot be the same. The gospel worked for us salvation. The gospel worked through us or works through us ministry. The gospel works in us transformation. It works for us salvation or worked for us salvation. Works through us ministry, the proclamation of the gospel. It works in us transformation, maturity. We must leave out that maturity. So the effect of the gospel is transformation. The practice of the gospel is transformation. The goal of the gospel in the believer in this earth now is transformation. In the life to come, immortality, adoption, glorification, right? Eternal life, the kingdom. In this life, that's why you're left here. And that's why in this life you're left here, you still have the faith of the Son of God to live it by. And the expectation of you in this life is transformation. You cannot sit in the gospel around the gospel, under the gospel, and remain the same. You must be transformed. You must. You must be transformed. It's not an option. And you will be. You will be. Because the word is working. And it requires you. You can't stand in the way of the work. Give the word space to work. Hallelujah. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. 
For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.